we just have a different level of professionalism within our company. With one exception, everybody we hired stayed with us unless we asked them to leave. So they like working for us. And I also think that by sharing the same type of vision of wanting to give back more for about reinventing capitalism, people are working not just for a paycheck, they're working for some higher social purpose. And that's really important. Welcome to the Message Engineer Podcast. Today, we have the great pleasure of having Seth Bogner, who is the chairman and CEO of HeartPoint Global, here with us today. Seth has more than three decades of experience in principal investing, structured finance, restructurings, and merchant banking across multiple industries. Seth has served as the CEO of many funded and or financed entities. Uh, to date, he's closed more than 200 investments as well as merger and acquisition M&A transactions during his career. Seth is the chairman and CEO of Harpoint Global, they are focused on building solutions for affordable, accessible, and minimally invasive cardiac care globally. So Seth, welcome today. Thanks for having me, Maureen. What we'll do is, uh, the way I start these is we start with a couple of kind of warm-up words or phrases, and I'll ask you to kind of respond with your uh, reflection on those. The first one, investment-related, value creation. Well, there's there's value in, you know, if we're talking about stocks, is there's value in what the company is producing, or there's value investing, where we're talking about value, you know, not intrinsic value, not speculative value, but what the value actually is. But um, you know, we at Heartpoint are focused on um, not only creating financial value, but creating value, you know, something that brings out something good for society, as well as making money. I think that's very important to us. Great, great, great. That is, that is critical, right? Not just value from the standpoint of investor value, right? And returning kind of You have to bring investors, yeah, you have to bring investors value, otherwise you can't have the fuel that's necessary to run the train. But at the same time, I believe that it's important that we, not just us, but other people think of ethical value, moral value, reinventing capitalism, so it's not just me, 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 I, I, I. There's nothing the matter with making money where, you know, we're, we're, we're totally in, in alignment with that. But, you know, you could do something good for civilization or in other cases, the environment or, uh, you know, they're, they're, you know, what attracted me to this business was there's a need. And, you know, there were a lot of sick kids that I saw through a relationship I had. And... I wanted to do something to help those sick kids. I've been involved in throughout my career in sort of financial structuring. I was one of the uh, creators of the CMBS market and, and financial structuring, restructuring, and things like that. And I wanted to do something that would give back, that would uh, be a uh, legacy uh, kind of business that, you know, where I spend my time, not just making money for the sake of making money, but making money for shareholders, but also for the social purpose as well. And with us, the social purpose is clear. 90% of the world is underserved with cardiac care. And there are ways we could try to enter that 90% at the same time serving, you know, indications that serve the Western world as well. So in the developing world, we have one strategy 
And in the U.S. and Europe, we have another strategy. So, uh, you know, I think the two are very, very compatible. I think that you just have to think about them um, and, and keep them, that, that ethos about creating not only financial value, but societal value. Great, great answer. So financial value and societal value, uh, developed world and kind of developing world or high income, if you buy into those designations of the World Bank, right, versus kind of low and middle income countries. So with, with that in mind, with that kind of twofold kind of market push, uh, the, the next phrase is a successful exit. What, yeah, well... You know, in our industry, a successful exit is, you know, a sale to a major pharmaceutical company or going public or just creating something and building more and more of it and creating a, a cash flow, a cash flow vehicle. A lot of people in our industry focus on the exit more than they focus on the mission. I think if you focus on the mission, a successful exit will follow. So, right. Stay focused on the mission and the primary kind of like ethos, like you said, the ethos of the company and what you're after. And if you do that and do that well, then the exit will come. Absolutely. Okay. Great way to think about it, right? A lot of people over-focus on on the exit and then they're not prepared for the ramp or the length of time it may take to get there. Yeah. Listen, it's, it, you know, in our, I, I see this all the time. It's like, you know, companies in our space have had very, very successful exits for, you know, hundreds of millions of one or two cases over a billion dollars. And, you know, we just are focused on getting, our product out both in the developing and the developed worlds and helping as much people as we, as many people as we can. And the more we stay focused on that mission, you know, I think we'll have our choice of exits, assuming we want to exit. You know, I think that this company has the foundation in place to grow and when market conditions are correct, go public. And, you know, but we've also seen a lot of companies go through exits. Uh, there's a company I, I, I recently saw that very, very successful in, in building something, um, did a New York Stock Exchange exit through a SPAC and ended up losing 90% of their value, which didn't serve their shareholders when the market corrected recently. So... It's, it's, it's a bit of a slippery slope if you're too much focused on the exit. Fair enough. Makes sense. There are, there are important markers kind of beyond the exit, right? Before, certainly with milestones and then beyond, right? Certainly want to yep. retain and grow that value, not just exit and fall off a cliff. <laughs> so great, 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 great. So you know, this podcast is is focused on kind of startups and medtech startups, which is exactly where Heartpoint Global is. Mm-hmm. And it's very focused on kind of message and messaging. And so when you, in your experience, investments and the M&A transactions, are there things that you see when folks are coming to you and asking for an investment that they're, mess, you know, that are part of their message? that you look at and you say, hey, they're kind of, this looks like a good investment. They're getting these things right. Or conversely, things that show up to you and how they're kind of messaging you in their pitch deck or their one page or whatever they provide to you, where, you know, you see some immediate red flags. Could you give us a sense of what are some of those things that start telling you, hey, these might may be the right types of investments to start taking a deeper dive into, or these are the types that, Hey, there, there's some red flags here for us that we're not interested in having them pitch to us. Well, when I was actively investing in, in, 
in, in, in companies, whether they be public or private, I always say it's sort of like the onion, you know, what's underneath the surface of what you see. A lot of people have great pitch decks. A lot of people have a great pitch. But then who else is in the company? What are the quality of those people? You know, in our company, you know, from from the time we took it over till now, we always overhired. I, you know, I'm a strong believer, especially not having a huge background in the medical device, of hiring the smartest people we can find and listening to them. Um, and you know, we we make our own decisions, but you know, when you look at the quality of the people that we have. And the fact that they all joined us because they had the same vision that we had. We're very focused on our team and the culture that we have internally. And, you know, there's been some very qualified people that came to work for us that we didn't accept because we didn't fit, thought, think they would fit in with our culture. It's the same thing when you're, you're, you're looking at investment. You, somebody could have you know, you talk about red flags. There, there are a lot of things, but a lot of it's gut. You know, it's, 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 but, you know, I think that when you really, really focus on, you know, if, if they have a lousy deck, it doesn't mean they have a lousy company. They're just not great presenters. You know, when you look at their model and you say, okay, first of all, is there a need for this? You know, it's, it's sort of, you know, are they, are, is it a highly competitive market or is it something that could live along alongside other things in that market? Do they have the tools to get there? Do they have the right people in place? Are they focused on the right kind of, you know, third party professionals that they associate themselves with? There are, there are a lot of things. It really depends on the company. You know, sometimes you just say, wow, I, I, I don't want to do business with that person for any number of reasons or, you know, they, they, that's not, this also depends what stage your company's at. If you're talking about an early stage company, it's like, how long am I going to be in this thing? How long will the investment last? If I'm in a later stage company, you are focused on their exits because you're a late stage investor. And, you know, I have experience in all these things. So for us, you know, as a company, it's once again, what I said, you know, we're on a mission. We have a really huge market. We have a huge market opportunity, but at the same time, we have a huge social message and social action that we're performing by helping, you know, talk about the haves and haves nots, but the have nots, you know, not just, not just in the, the, in the developed world, but in the developing world where, you know, you can't even begin to understand, you know, you see a child that, that's, that, that they, you know, is a blue baby and they can't get a you know, surgery. And we have a device that can help that kid. You know, I'm talking about blue babies, that kids that have isomiger syndrome and things like that. But, you know, one out of a hundred kids that are born around the world have some type of congenital heart defect. It's an amazing number. So you're talking about, you know, about a million and a half kids a year that are born with that. And if you say 90% of those kids don't have adequate cardiac care, um, or even in the Western world where, you know, we have amazing facilities, we have amazing physicians, we have amazing healthcare systems, you know, Florida, though they may be, you know, if some kid is born with a heart defect, there's a 90% chance it's going to get caught in the United States. But, uh, you know, and if, if not, they can have surgeries. And, you know, we have great, you know, heart centers all over America and all over Western Europe. But what if that kid's born in, you know, Southeast Asia, as an example? You know, uh, they don't have all the facilities or maybe they have one facility in the country and they can't get there. So it was very important to us that we could deliver our device, not only through 
interventional cardiologist, which there's a huge shortage of in the world, uh, but by regular cardiologists and general surgeons. And we've tested that and uh, we're partners with a group called the Eurasia Heart Foundation. And Eurasia has operated in 25 countries over the world's the last, uh, I guess, almost 20 years. And uh, they bring, it's one of the things that attracted me to this business. We were in uh, Ukraine and I saw a guy by the interventional cardiologist by the name of Pierre Levis training 10 intervention, 10, 10 people that were either cardiologists, general surgeons, about interventional cardiologists in the cath lab. And I said, wow, this is something that we need to do. You know, this is something that needs to happen. And Ukraine um, has a pretty sophisticated healthcare, had a pretty sophisticated healthcare system. You know, unfortunately, we're all aware of the unfortunate situation occurring now and the human tragedy that's happening now in Ukraine. Uh, but we spent a lot of time there. Uh, we're planning on doing all of our trials there. Um, not just for, you know, using it as a model for our entry into the developing world, even though, you know, we're dealing with some amazing facilities there. So uh, it's it, it attracted me to see a formula where we're not sending care packages, we're giving them you know, the farming tools and the ability to farm themselves and they're great physicians. Um, that just need the training and expertise that, you know, we could either bring from the United States or Israel or Switzerland, you know, all places we operate. So um, it, I hope that answers your question. It, it answers that and a few more. Okay. Uh, so that was, that was terrific. I think to, to jump off on this idea of, right, we think about there's like this constellation of customers in medical devices and med tech in this kind of general area. And when you, and, and we know a shortage, right? Even surgery is not filling all of their kind of like residency slots these days. So are the last handful of years. So, and there's a shortage of nurses and you know, shortage of other healthcare professionals. From that standpoint, this idea of training general cardiologists, right? Training general surgeons and broadening it beyond just interventional cardiology is, is very, is really interesting. And so do you think that that is a model that would work beyond, you know, you're, you saw that in the Ukraine. Do you think that's a model you intend on um, bringing out to, uh, to I want to say yeah. all the it, it, developing world or these 25 countries at Eurasia that foundation is a yeah you know it, it, it's something we've adopted which we call the train the doctor program and um, you're dealing with tremendous numbers when you talk about our you know uh, total available market serviceable market and obtainable market um, is the way most people in our business like thinking of it so for us our available market is almost is, is, is a half a billion people. Okay, it's that huge. Uh, the available market is over 100 million people. And the obtainable market's 30 million people. So you take a, you know, we're talking to countries all over the world. But let's take a country like Nigeria. Nigeria has a couple of really good facilities in Benin. Um, but this is a huge country with 200 million people. And... Do they have anywhere near the amount skilled professional trained interventional cardiologists or even cardiologists to do it? No. You know, we plan on going to um, Nigeria as an example of a place where we can, you know, you have doctors, you have good doctors, you have some good facilities. And as we develop, we will continue that mission in you know, not just countries like uh, Nigeria, but countries like uh, Egypt, countries like, uh, you know, in, in, in the Caucasus. And, you know, we're just, just take India. India 
is a huge market with a billion people. Um, at any time, there's you know somewhere between one and two million patients, potential patients for us. And there's a great healthcare system in certain parts of India. And in other parts of India, there's not. And also there's the have and have nots. So they are very, very excited and anxious to build out their healthcare system. And, and you see this in a lot of countries where in the capital city, there's a great medical center or a great heart center. And, you know, and, uh, you know, it's not that good in the outlying areas. So it's also instilling in these people, the people that you teach to teach, to teach other people, you know, we, yes, the train the doctor program is an underpinning of our strategy. Because we have, as I said earlier, we have two different strategies, one for the developing world, one for the developed world. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm pushing a little bit more on the developing world only because no, a I lot of this is it's, what well, we it's well, it's relatively well complicated, but relatively well understood the U.S. and kind of, let's say, Western Europe, at least. And uh, from that standpoint, whereas I have seen a lot of med tech companies start out wanting to focus on the developing world and, and kind of do good and, you know, drive revenues and profit, uh, and then end up falling back to the U.S. market to prove a principle or Western Europe to prove a principle. And so I'm very intrigued by like how, right, how you've thought this through uh, with some of your partners to balance kind of going after um, supporting very, the developed world and you know it's, it's a very it's a very very interesting story actually uh, we were all attracted to you know everybody on the team was attracted and wants to fulfill our mission to the developing world um, there, there were two issues one is commercial reality which is you have to deal with you know, we have something that works very well in the developed world as well. Um, and there are different indications. You know, the indications that work well in the developed world are left heart indications, which is, you know, if you say cardiovascular disease is the biggest killer in the United States and the largest subsection of that uh, of cardiovascular disease is left heart issues, um, we treat uh, left ventricular cardiomyopathy, which is the biggest subset of left heart issues. So it's a huge market in America and in Western Europe. Every year, um, in those two in, in, in those two areas alone, you have six hundred thousand patients. So it's a big, big market in the Western world, uh, and that's every year six hundred thousand patients. And as the population continues to uh, get older in uh, America and Western Europe and people live longer, it, that market becomes much bigger. So, so that's, that's one reality. reality. Second reality is you have, um, if you get an FDA approval, that makes you accessible in a lot of other markets with very low barriers to entry because of that FDA approval. So, here is, uh, for example, we spoke to the largest HMO in Brazil, which is also the largest hospital operator. And they just said, bring us anything. And they have a huge amount of patients for us. Uh, not just left ventricular cardiomyopathy patients, but also the you know patients who have congenital issues and kids, sick kids. Uh, once again, it's, there are some amazing healthcare facilities in Brazil, but it's a huge country with a growing population. Um, they just said, bring us anything that says FDA on it. And we, we, we love, we would love to bring the device to the market. Um, then we had a question of what we pursue in our clinical trials, because, you know, you're testing two different, you know, indications with two different patient groups. So as I said, one is, left heart issues and the other one is congenital heart issues. So what we're doing is we're doing actually two studies, one for left heart issues and one for congenital heart issues. So, you know, the, uh, um, 
we, we, we think we can be true to that. And we also think that when we get uh, FDA approval, it'll open a lot of countries up as well. So I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. I think they're sort of complementary. Um, and when we, you know, when I first took over running the company, we were debating what, what we pursue first and what we do and how we do it. And, you know, the money application was the Western world application. Uh, you know, in the beginning, I was just focused on congenital, congenital, congenital. And then we just decided to, 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 to manage both. It's challenging and it's expensive. We, we, we serve over, we serve over 10 indications and they're not just hard applications because what our, what our device does is it regulates flow and pressure in, uh, uh, in, in, in the pulmonary artery or its branches. And that same technology can translate to TIPS patients in patients that have cirrhosis. And there's a need there too. When you have that many indications, you know, you, you sort of have to pick your spots. So we didn't pick one, we picked two. And by picking two, we feel we're, we're serving both missions. That's, yeah, that's great. That's great. Not a lot of Startups necessarily have the wherewithal to, in my experience, to be able to do that. So that's really tremendous. That's really great. Um, from the developing kind of world side, how do you think through, I know you talked a bit through kind of geography, right? And, and outside of the U.S. and West, well, outside of the U.S., let's put it that way. Outside of the U.S., <laughs> there are a varied number, varied number of uh, kind of healthcare reimbursement systems and healthcare systems. And how did you decide or have you decided kind of where to go first? How did the healthcare system play a part in that particular country or, you know, area for you? And also this idea of then kind of like a second question around kind of broadening the providers, right? And thinking through that relative to the GOs. Sure. Um As I said earlier, we did a lot of work in Ukraine and we put a pricing model based upon reimbursability and what reimbursability would be in Ukraine. Uh, so I'll use that as a model because we've kept that model, even though, as I said, you know, we have this horrible, horrible humanitarian situation brought on by the war. But we, we determined our pricing based upon a partnership we had with Ukrainian Children's Hospital and the former two-time Minister of Health there and the largest private hospital owner in Ukraine. And we figured out what they believed would be reimbursable with their national health care system. So I don't think that if you're looking at a country like, let's say, Azerbaijan, it's going to be that much different than Ukraine. Ukraine was specially situated because it was bridge between the EU and 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 and, and those countries in, in the, you know Eastern Europe and Southern Asia or South Southwest Asia that uh, have have a need because for example the clinical trials we did in we would we would have done in Ukraine would have been accepted by the Euro European Union uh, by treaty. And it's not just us. There were over 250 companies doing clinical trials in Ukraine when the war broke out. So it's, you know, super great doctors there and you have some really good facilities there and super intelligent population and just a great, great place. It was a great, great place to do business before this horrible situation. And, but that re and also by getting approval in Ukraine, it opened up, I think it was six or seven other countries in, in that area. So now we're working in, with other countries in that area. And in fact, we have, we have a team right now in Kazakhstan preparing for trials there. I was just on the phone with them uh, before we started. We thought it was very late at night there. There's 10 hour time difference. So, uh, you know, we, we're, we're, we're focused on in those countries, there's a great, desire to improve their healthcare system and a lot of them have a lot of money. 
just, you know, figuring out how to spend it, figuring out how to get the care out to the people. I've, I've noticed in, in all these countries that, that there's just um, a huge desire on behalf of the leadership, or at least the thought leadership in the, in the health industry, to get as much technology, especially technology such as ours, which is disruptive in terms of its cost and price versus existing therapies. Like for us, if, if we're dealing with left heart issue in the United States, the cost if somebody needed a, a artificial heart or LVAD costs a million dollars over 10 years to maintain that patient. Um, our device costs $4,000. So what healthcare service or insurer in the United States would not want to try our solution before they invested the million dollars in the patient or maybe to stabilize the patient for long enough to get a transplant or, 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 or an LVAD, or maybe we give them a better quality of life that the patient's satisfied with. Our device, we estimate, will bring uh, you know, people up two levels on uh, your cardiological cardiology scale, which takes people from being, you know, bedridden to uh, being able to uh, walk, you know, know, play with their grandchildren. Not hard, but play with their grandchildren. So I I hope that answered your question. Yeah, Uh, I want to say, yeah, moving up two levels on kind of the New York Heart Association class is is a major accomplishment. And I love this idea of bringing something kind of minimally, right, minimally invasive, easier to use relative to kind of old school pulmonary artery banding. I looked up 1951 was the first case, right? We, we could do with something better. It's only 2% of current procedures now in the U.S. Well, uh, based and, on- yeah, it's like, you know, uh, I know somebody that recently had a pulmonary artery banding in New York. At a, at a major hospital, um, it's it's a it's a tough procedure, and what we've discovered is that it's the reduction that we're trying to get with banding is very very high. You know, it's a shock to the system. What our system does, it gradually builds the reduction in in uh, in pressure and flow, and so and we've also seen through our animal studies that in order to get the effect we're looking for, you need much less pressure than reduction than, than, than was previously thought. So we're hoping to validate those uh, those findings on humans uh, very, you know, starting very shortly. That's great. Yeah, that's great. That's great. That's great. So when when you, I'm going to go back to this developing country thing, at least. Oh, hey, it's, it's my favorite thing to talk about. Please. Okay, good. Again, when you're thinking about developing world, so healthcare system is an important piece. You talk to, at least in the Ukraine, Ukraine, like the Minister of Health and public healthcare systems, you're finding that people are very motivated to have new technology, right, and kind of do better um, with their their kind of general populations. Uh, And you're doing what has historically been characterized as market development activities, you know, which is doing this training of training up of folks to basically use your device, you know, your system to treat these things. And in, in doing that training and potentially broadening it to like general cardiologists and general surgeons in doing it in developing countries, what are, you know, if you had to give advice to other, let's say startups that see this kind of, bifurcated opportunity, right, in kind of the developed countries and the developing countries. What, like, kind of things would you say, hey, you really need to pay attention to or you need to kind of watch out for as relates to being successful kind of in developing countries? Well, you know, we, we're, 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 the reason we're successful developing these relationships is because we've been partnerships. And not only that, we have, you know, the chairman of our medical advisory board is also head of the Eurasia Heart Foundation. 
our chief interventional cardiologist is 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 David Planner is is the is the chief of interventional cardiology at Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem. So you have you know great thought leadership and you know great skilled professionals who who are with you. If I have to, you know, so develop your product would be the advice I, I would have for them in the least, with the least possible level of resistance. And I'm talking about, you know, if you're, we're fortunate because we could draw from people all over the world and we've had that vision and been able to work that way since way before COVID. We were, you know, living on Zoom calls and, you know, getting, you know, but we have such a high level of professional people. We, you know, everybody's a boss. Everybody, you know, takes the responsibility in our company. If you develop your product and you have good people and you do the research, you can enter the same type of markets we're entering into. But it's challenging, you know, listen, today I was on the phone with people in Western Europe, Kazakhstan, Israel, and uh, the United States, it's, 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 it's demanding. And, uh, you know, I'm based both in the United States and in Israel. Uh, so it's, you know, it doesn't matter to me where I am. I'm able still to run our company. But if everybody's, you know, in Israel, for example, it's... It, it, it's great, uh, or everybody's in Ireland, that's great. We just have a different level of professionalism in, within our company. With one exception, everybody we hired stayed with us unless we asked them to leave. So they like working for us. And I, I also think that by sharing the same type of vision of wanting to give back more for about reinventing capitalism, People are working not just for paycheck, they're working for some higher social purpose. And that's really important. So we started with you talking about culture and vision. We've kind of circled back to culture and vision. Um, and I wanted to ask, you know, you talked about hiring the right people and the people who are not just talented and skilled, but also share and also, I should say, and also you know, share that vision. How do you, and you have people, as you've already said, you know, Israel and, you know, the U.S., Ireland, uh, how do you, how do you, any kind of tips or tricks that you have for kind of communicating, messaging, kind of keeping people aligned and focused and moving everyone forward with uh, the mission that the company's after? Well, we, 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 we meet almost every day. We, you know, and whether I'm, you know, most days I'm in the United States, I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the phone at 5 a.m. You know, most of our D team is, is in Israel. We have people in Ireland and Switzerland as well. And my COO is based in Romania. So, you know, we, 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 when, when we took over the company, it was based in Switzerland, but everything kept pulling us to Israel is, uh, you know, things just happened faster there. And we were very fortunate to, you know, have our, our lead interventional cardiologist there, our CTO there, our lab there. And there's an ecosystem within Israel that everybody seems to know each other. Everybody's working together. And, you know, people, and it was the same thing in Ireland. It was, you know, they handle problems in a very American way, which is if there's a problem, it's like, oh my God, there's a problem. There's, if there's a problem, it's like, okay, let's find a solution. And we're constantly looking for solutions. And, you know, in Israel, there's an impatience that uh, really helps the process too, you know, and I think that's something that's very attractive to me. You know, don't, you know, uh, wait, wait for tomorrow to something you can do today. And when you're dealing in a highly regulated field like we are, where, you know, there's so much testing and safety 
and rules that you have to follow, you know, not just in each country has its own rules, but, you know, mostly we're all concerned about the FDA and, and, and the EU because, as I said, they're the drivers for the rest of the world. When you're in this highly regulated environment and you have to know you can trust people, you know, you have to make sure your quality system uh, works across borders that, you know, from a regulatory standpoint, you're somebody who's strong enough to work with regulators in different parts of the world and understand their system and not impose our system on their system. You know, uh, it's, these, these, are, these are all interesting, you know. Uh, as my grandfather would say, high-class problems. But you have to have the right people to, 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 to deal with it. And the right people have experience and have had success in dealing with those problems, these types of issues and challenges as, uh, as we do. And I really credit our team. I think they're an amazing group of people. And uh, I'm, I'm very proud to work with them every day. That's, that's tremendous. And I, you know, being, how should I say, geographically agnostic to some extent, you know, allowed you uh, to hire, right, as you said, hire the best people yep. to put in the positions and aligning, making sure that they're mission centric and, you know, skilled at <laughs> what you need them to do. Right? Culturally compatible. Culturally compatible. It's a good term. I like that term. Thank you. You talked about partners a few times, and so I just want to circle back to that. And can you, I read somewhere that you had kind of more than 25 partners. And if you think about big tech, big tech is, right, in SaaS in particular, tons and tons of partners, right, on like multiple different categories. Med tech and med device historically haven't had kind of broad and deep partnerships. So I was hoping, you know, if you would share Kind of your kind of ethos on partnering and how you've built that and why, I think that'd be great. Well, you know, we tend to partner with companies that have this can-do kind of attitude or we could push into this can-do kind of attitude. You know, it's not just, we, it's funny how the greatest things that I've built in my life all happened during times of change, whether it was, you know, mortgage-backed securities coming out of the SNL crisis, or, or a financial business coming out of the, the crash of 2008, and now through what we've lived through with COVID and supply chain shortages, which still exist to this day, where you know we're we're constantly trying to source materials, and you sort of figure out like, you know, we have a manufacturing partner who is very, very responsive on a particular, we use something called PTFE in one of our components. There's global PTFE shortage, which is the Teflon derivative. And it's used in many, many, many devices. And why did that shortage happen? It was because the largest manufacturer of PTFE in the world, who manufactured it in an 800-person factory, had to close down uh, during COVID. And when they opened back up, finally, everybody ordered three times the amount of PTFE they needed because of the supply chain shortage. So when you're still in development stage like we are, and you know, you're not a huge customer yet, you know, we are sourcing you know, the PTFE that we need. We've been successful, you know, we've been successful because our partners who are larger users of PTFE have also provided us with it and also been adaptable to various uh, variations that we needed that, you know, if we got something from one thing, will will you use it even though you didn't source it yourself because you don't have any? Yes, you know, that's what we, we mean by having great working partners. And, that, and also uh, great, great, you know, uh, uh, you know, partners, not just on the supply side, but on the, on, on, on the uh, testing side, 
we work with on the hospital side, of course, uh, we've had a lot of luck with that. And as I said, we were always around the world. So when COVID came, it wasn't so hard for us to deal with. Uh, from an investment side, it was hard because nobody wanted to invest in anything that wasn't uh, you know, COVID-related for you know, three years. You know, we were just fortunate to have enough funds to continue what we were doing and uh, move forward. But, uh, you know, we're now, you know, diversifying our, our investment base. We're up to now, it's been primarily self-funded by us. So uh, we're right now focused on bringing in the right partners on the investment side that share, aren't focused on the, you know, get in, get out, this is the exit, but understand that here there's a business model that's very, very that that, that that is 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 very cash flow driven and focused on developing cash flow um, while we're still going through the FDA and, this, and the EU processes. And uh, you know, but we're in a critical stage right now where we're about to go into our first uh, human trials, and things will happen very, very quickly from there. Great, 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 great. Yeah, it's helpful on the partner side to find people who are, you said, have a can-do attitude, right? Aligned with the culture of the company and or... Um, and quality, quality. And, ah, okay. High quality, you know, and or can be kind of nudged in that direction. <laughs> so uh, that makes a lot of sense. I think finding the right partners is really critical and it takes time from that perspective. The last thing I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about was I read you, I read something about data, SaaS, kind of future, kind of looking to the future with the product to planting, you know, implanting a chip in the product to be able to collect kind of ongoing data because the device is adjustable, right? Not only during the procedure, but after the procedure, which is really interesting. And then this idea of providing, every med tech would like to do these days, kind of a SaaS subscription. What I thought was interesting about what I read, and I'm, I'm curious if that's still the plan or if that's changed. Yeah, that is, that, that is still the plan. You know, we, we, it's, it's funny how it serves you in both the developing and the developed world. Uh, what we learned through our experience with the Eurasia Heart Foundation is that you can get the patient, but the follow-up is, as, as, as Paul Vogt would say, is you're lucky you get a phone number. So if you have a, have, a, have, have attached a chip to the device and you get flow and pressure from the, from the chip, uh, you know, everybody has a cell phone. Um, and that's the, the common thread in the world. So if you, through an NFC operation, can do that, it's great. You get amazing data and, you know, be able to see things. And one of the real strong ISPs about our device is it's adjustable. And it's adjustable both upon initial insertion or a day, a week, a month, a year, or more later. We are, once again, minimally invasive. So as the conditions with the patient change, you know, the patient you know, you could fine tune. It's like when they did pulmonary banding, they just used to have to tear your ribs open again and, you know, do, do the same thing over again. Um, with us, it's, it's, it's sort of easy if we have the data, if we know what's going on with the patient. In the Western world, it's exactly as you said. Everybody wants the data. Everybody wants the revenue recurrence of a SaaS application. So it's, it's you know, we're working with a major European telecom on this. It's not going to be part of our initial release, uh, but it's something we are very, very focused on. And it's not really new territory. You know, people have had uh, chips on uh, pacemakers, as an example, uh, for, for, for quite a while. So, yeah, it's, 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 we're just fortunate that um, we have a good partner there. And uh, it's something we continue to work on. But right now we're mission focused. 
on our, our clinical trials. And, you know, it's important for us not to lose focus on our clinical trials. Uh, you know, because there are a lot of not just the SAS application, not just, you know, helping uh, cirrhosis patients with, with the TIPS application, you know, the world of things we can do, but having discipline to succeed in each step is super, super, super important, not only to our well-being, but to anybody's well-being, because you're a world of opportunities. But if, if I was going to give anybody advice, is finish start so you know we, 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 we did that with our with our with our development we did that with our animal trials we have all types of ways that we could continue our R&D uh, but right now the game for us is clinical trials and you know going moving forward towards various countries approvals of course most importantly FDA approval and CE approval it is the this is the, the next level of our development. As, and it also serves the economic, the economic basis as well, because as you know, we have successful clinical trials, our evaluation will continue to rise, you know, it's sort of, but it's weird, like we were talking about the SAS application, but this is what I mean by reinventing capitalism. It's really cool, and people love talking about recurring income from SAS and things like that. But look how it helps in the developing world as well. You know, you have patients that will have longer lives, will have a better quality of life because we developed this application that happens to make money in the Western world too. So it, 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 the, the, the two things are very seldom mutually exclusive. Normally what's good for one side is good for the other side on some level. Will it generate huge revenue? Um, in, in Cambodia, I don't think so. But will it help those people in Cambodia have a better life and better quality of life and a longer life after they've they've they've, they've been through our treatment? Absolutely. I love the idea that this isn't you know like the class B right company. You're not a B right company. You're not a nonprofit five hundred one three C company. You're a for-profit, you know, down, you know, coming down the road commercial company, and you found a way to meld the two together in a very synergistic way, so that they they they're symbiotic, for lack of a better word, at this at this moment. Um, but they seem to be very symbiotic, which I think is terrific, um, and I think a huge kind of inspiration to other people that they have that same ability to do that. Um, I did one more question on the SAS thing. I did read, it, it reminded me of Tom's shoes a little bit. Uh, there was this idea of potentially for every use in the Western world, you know, subscription wise, that one would be provided kind of in a developing country. And I was wondering if you could comment on yeah, that. Yeah, it's, 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 it's that old pay it forward idea. Uh, you know, we believe that our work in the developing world uh, is very, very important. And that by, you know, by, by giving one, you know, for every SaaS application that you do in the West, uh, you know, the chip doesn't cost that much. You know, so when you're putting a chip on a device and giving a doctor the ability to access that, that's 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 the idea. So it's 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 a uh, uh, you know it's a one to one kind of thing. And markets are so big on SaaS, and repetitive income is so big on SaaS. You know, people like it because it goes straight to EBITDA. You know, and uh, and why can't you take a small portion of that? It's certainly not dollar for dollar allow a doctor to be able to attract his patients in the developing world. Yeah, that would be huge, particularly given the, the wider geographies, right? Fewer kind of physicians, surgeons, interventionalists to be able to attract folks remotely and say, hey, it's time for you to come in. Yep. 
it's, 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 once again, it's, it's, it's stuff that just makes sense. And why shouldn't you be doing it? And, you know, it's not costing a lot of money. It's, it's not hurting your bottom line. Uh, but it's, it's helping because, you know, from a business perspective, it helps as well. If you've trained somebody to do the procedure in a developing country, and that's that 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 that, 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 that person, be they a general surgeon, cardiologist, or interventional cardiologist, goes to uh, has has success. More and more patients will come to them, and more and more people will need our device. And um, you know, healthcare services in these countries, you know, we, we built the device so they could afford to. Uh, to, to, to buy the device. So it's, it's, it, it's, you know, there is a profit motive there as well. So humanitarian does feed the profit motive. So, uh, you know, uh, I think because we were working quietly in the background and, you know, had all this, you know, de- development advances during COVID times, you know, we weren't in a position to shout it out. We weren't traditional, uh, you know, uh, medical VC, you know, who was out there out there promoting us. We've stayed pretty much under the covers till now. And now we're shouting and, you know, we do hope uh, to get participation by other charitable organizations beyond the other ones that we're working with to have a wider breach. Uh, we're in discussions with right now, but... It's, it's, you know, you have to keep your eye on the prize and the prize for us right now is our clinical trials. And uh, we have a high degree of confidence that uh, everything will work out. God knows we've spent enough money on testing and, and, and uh, preclinicals and things like that. So uh, we've basically, uh, as, as, as our CTO and, uh, and chief interventional cardiologist who said we de-risked the device which is humanly possible. So we're very optimistic about uh, the future and what the future brings for us and being able to get our solution out to uh, both the developed and developing worlds. That That's great. I think we'll kind of stop there. I love the, the culture and hiring the best people, the societal mission with a financial kind of you know mission, if you will, developing and developed world, and that they're not they're not mutually exclusive. And of course, yeah, the the bane of every startup is focus, right? <laughs> we can do so many things. We apply to so many markets. We and those guys, those guys, those those those, those guys fail. You know, it's like, you know, we have chosen our spots uh, mm-hmm. and we felt we had enough breath to do, to focus on both things at the same time because of the right partners, because of the right people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, we're, 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 we're not saving the world, but we think we could do a little part to improving the world for the people. And I think if everybody does a little to improve the world in their own way, you know, and this is what I believe with, with all of my heart and understanding that we're all connected and we're living in an interconnected world, whether you're talking about medical, you're talking about financial, you're talking about human relations, that if everybody does a little bit, the world will become a much better place much quicker. And in times like these where things are so challenging, you know, from political wars and, uh, things not making sense if everybody did a little to try to the good uh that that all these other things will start to improve very very quickly if everyone does a little then all together right it's a lot (laughs) so yeah great great place to kind of um, bring us to a close just one one fun question to kind of close this out uh what is at the top of your bucket list? What's well, the top of my bucket list? Um, 
I really don't have a bucket list. I, don't, <laughs> I never, I always sort of laughed at that bucket list concept because for me, you know, every, you try to live every day. It's like, like it's your last and you try to, you know, push everything out. You know, I could say, oh yes, standing on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange, you know, putting the gavel down, or you could say, uh, you know, uh, treating our, our, our one millionth patient or, or 10 millionth patient, um, you know, it, it's it's like, I just say, do your best every single day, you know, work hard, have balance in your life, um, and, 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 and all your dreams will come true. That is a tremendous answer <laughs> to that question. And so that's it for the Message Engineer podcast for now. Uh, we'll see you next time on the Message Engineer podcast. Oh, 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 o